Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Y'all have a seat. Let's stay calm. We don't want to scare the new people. This might be their first time. We want them to come back. We pray that the Lord keeps them and blesses them and keeps them calm. Let's turn some AC on the stage, though. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid, new people. Don't be afraid. We're not violent. We're just violent toward the kingdom of darkness, but we'll love on you, though. Hallelujah. (laughs) Can I just say on behalf of Pastor John and myself... Thank you so much for the month of October. Man, you guys are, you guys overwhelm us with your love. It's like every time October turns, comes around and there's, it's pastor appreciation, I'm like, I don't even think, I don't even think we're doing that good of a job. Because I'm like, the honor that we're getting, it's like, man, are we really, wow, man, just thank you so much. And I feel like when you do that, it's like you step into the bosom of the father and you just love us and give this us this big old fatherly hug that suffocates us to the point where I'm like wow you like love us that much so you guys thank you so very much thank you so much for being a people of honor thank you guys so much for celebrating your pastors I really appreciate it not even just for me but for him on those hard days on those weekdays on those days when he's without strength like he's going to remember the month of October the things that you guys have said the gifts that you've given the words that you've expressed thank you so much you guys those kind of things is like literally like little bread that we have in our baskets all year long and we eat from it in the times of should I give up no let me eat that bread let me eat that bread so thank you so much thank you for packing our lunches that's exactly what you guys have done. You guys have packed our lunches and you've made sure that we've had, we have enough strength for what's ahead. Thank you so much. <clears throat> also, I want to say thank you to all our deacons, our security team, Pastor John, our honorary TBCF woman, and all the men of TBCF for coming this weekend during our women's conference. You guys, thank you so much. Ladies that were here, can you guys just stand up, turn around, and give all our guys a big old hand clap. Thank you guys for loving on us the way that you do. Like you guys come and you bring your presence and ain't nobody playing no games with us when they see you guys standing outside. You know, they see Hannah's outside, they're like, you know what, I was gonna go in there, but you know what, I think I'll go on over here to the quick stop. Thank you guys so much for just bringing your presence. And it's not, not like you guys did a lot, but you, just, you were just there. So thank you guys for giving us that and uh, making that ap- the atmosphere safe for us. We felt very safe this weekend to just be wild. We had our shoes off. We were twirling around. Y'all, we were in here acting even, we can get even more dignified than that, but we was in here cutting up. Ladies, where you at? <laughs> up. Yes, y'all don't know. Y'all should have been there. Any ladies that missed it, y'all should have been there. And so dur- during the message today, y'all might hear some ladies scream, up. God is good. God is good. Okay, let's get on with this message, okay? Title of today's message is For the Kingdom. Okay, it's going to be a nice, very calm message. Don't fall asleep because it's going to be really calm. For the kingdom. It's for the kingdom. Turn with me to your Bibles and your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm reading from the New King James Version in Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. I'm going to start off reading verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died... 
I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and two, he covered his feet, and two, he flew. And one cried to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is describing heaven. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I first got saved, like I was intrigued with heaven. Like, I know I'm going to get there because that's my destiny. But it was like, as soon as I got saved, I, all my curiosity, all my thoughts went toward what is heaven like? I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to know what it smells like. Was it, what, what does it sound like? What are the people doing? Are they walking around like, or are they running? Like, what? I, I was completely infatuated with heaven to the point where I would pick up books from people that say that they died and went to heaven. Uh, there's this famous preacher that he said he had a vision and an encounter of heaven. And then later on, as I began to mature, I was realizing none of those things lined up spiritually. And so if any of you guys were like me and you have this complete infatuation with heaven, read Isaiah. Read the word of God. Don't get led astray from these books of people that saying they went to heaven. And then you, as you mature and you get to know the word, and you're thinking none of that is in the Bible. None of that is biblical. So let's be careful about feeding our curiosity of things that's outside of the word of God. Okay. That was just a little side commercial. But Isaiah is giving us this imagery from heaven and I want to get drunk with it. Like I read, I've read, read this scripture over and over again, and I'm a very creative and imaginative person. So as he's saying the temple was filled with smoke, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the temple filled with smoke. I'm seeing the train of his robe fill the temple. I'm seeing his presence big and mighty in his throne, just as big or bigger than he is to be able to sit the king of glory upon it. Like I can see it and I'm infatuated with it. And Isaiah is doing his best to describe what he's seeing, the grandeur of the vision. And I'm in awe. And then let's read verse 5. Isaiah continues and he said, So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Out of all the things that Isaiah, Isaiah saw and he described when it came to himself, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, he goes on about heaven, the throne, the smoke, the robe, and then all of a sudden he wants to insert himself. He wants to insert how he's feeling. Here's the point. Our flesh in contact with God causes a reaction like whoa I'm not talking about the God that you have in your mind that you've been coloring on coloring pages since you were two I'm talking about when you really get the real vision and concept of who God is and how big he is all of a sudden you're like whoa it happened to Moses in, uh, 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 in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. Moses said this, uh, uh, moreover, he said, this is God, I am the God, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Whoa. Whoa. We think 
that at any time, like, God, I'm ready to see you. Go ahead and come on in here right now. Uh, you better have a woe moment. You better get a woe in your spirit. Because when God shows up, all of a sudden, you see who you really are and how far off God has been in your mind this whole time. Let's talk about Peter. That's my dude. Peter's my dude, y'all. Peter is a hot mess, just like me. I like Peter. Peter, Luke chapter 5, 5 through 8, it says this. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Whoa. Whoa. I'm not talking about being around godly people and then you get a woe because you don't. Somewhere, somehow, we lose the reverence for God. Can I just talk about this for a second? Like back in the day in the Baptist church when I was a kid, if you even stepped on the pulpit, I swear I was being transported straight to hell. Like I wasn't even going to get a trial. It was going to be like, oh, wow, I must have stepped in the pulpit. Here I am. Like, but for some reason, there's no reverence for the house of God. I don't know where it went. People are coming in here any kind of way. People are acting any kind of way, which is great because this is a hospital. But I'm just saying, at some point, we should have a woe in our spirit for the things of God, for the people of God, and for the move of God. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's talk about Job. Job chapter 42, 5 through 6, it says this. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Oh, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Whoa. Whoa. Job's like, look, I've heard of you all my life. Even in the, in the scriptures before that, if you read it, Job was like, look, I was even talking about you. I was like, call myself teaching about you. But I was really talking about stuff I didn't even fully understand. And now, Lord, I hate myself. He caught a glimpse of who God really was, and he began to challenge him. He didn't even like himself. He said, I abhor. That's hate. That's, a, that's like a deep disdain. He says, man, I hate myself. Here I am describing you as, you know, Jesus with the long perm, with the, like, the, the lightly dusted Shirley Temple curls that are lightly just kind of hanging from his shoulder. And then I see you, like, looking at me like, would you like a glass of water? And Job's like, this whole time, that's who I thought you were. And I hate myself. I hate myself for teaching about a God like that. I hate myself for even approaching holy things and holy moves and holy, holy uh, subjects about you. I hate myself for even lessening and taking away and diluting the holiness of who you really were. Whoa. I have now seen you with my eyes and I hate myself. In the real sight of God, our nothingness begins to show. My fleshliness begins to clash with God's holiness. My temporal temporality, uh, spirituality, you know, because my spirituality is a, has a ebbs and a flow. It all depends on what day you catch me on. I might be on fire, like hot, cold fire for God, or I might be like, I don't even care. I ain't praying for them. They ain't praying for me. Whoa. My temporal up and down spirituality, one day I'm on hot, 
fire for God. The next minute I could, I'm full of, uh, uh, what do you call apathy or uh, don't even care. And the moment it comes up against a sovereign, eternal God, everything in me throws up a flag of contempt. Whoa, I hate myself. No man can see God and live. Like, stop taking that scriptural soul surface. No man can see God and live. You know what that means? That means no man can see God and be unmoved within himself. No man can see God and be unchanged within himself. No man can see God and still just say, settle, like, what's up, God? Jesus is my homeboy. What's up? No, no. No man can see God and live exactly the way they, they were before. Something is going to shift in you when you see the real God. And Isaiah's feeling it. Isaiah's feeling it. He's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I didn't describe the throne. I described about the doorpost shaking. I described about the seraphim. And all of a sudden, hold up. Isaiah feels the need to not just talk about how unclean he is, but he wants to throw everybody else into it too. Did you notice that? He's like, look, I am a man of unclean lips. I've thought some dirty things. I've done some filthy things. And I liked it. But I come from people that also do the same thing. They all, we all doing it, Lord. Like all of us, is, we having parties for it. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Not only am I messed up, but where I'm from, God, we all messed up. And the view of God and his company invokes Isaiah to search for anything good in himself, and he can't find anything. And the first thought he's thinking is, I shouldn't even be here. I should not be here. From the looks of all this stuff, Isaiah's like, look, there's things here I am not qualified to see. There's some things here I'm not qualified to touch. And there's some things I'm not even qualified to hear. Isaiah first speaks of one who, who spectates the glory of God. That's, that's one of the surface levels that we, that we have as we begin to approach the Lord. We have a spectator's kind of sense. Like we come in and we describe church and we describe the people and we describe their lives and what they're like. And the first thing we think is, yeah, I'm not, I'm not nothing like any of them. And there's something in us that kind of steps back and says, whoa. Dude, I am so nasty, dirty. My heart is wicked. My mind is jacked up. And all my homeboys and homegirls are exactly the same way. Like, I love that for you guys. I love your journey of Jesus. But woe is me. Amen. I'm not like you. Amen. And so Isaiah takes this approach where he can only see his sin. He can only see how far his sin separates him from God. Isaiah went from talking about God's people, talking about God's things, talking about the perspective of God and his holiness, and then all he could see in that moment, it interrupted the whole thing because the depravity of sin and the people of whom he dwell, he couldn't even find anything good with him himself after that. And I'm sure stuff was still going on. Stuff was still happening, but Isaiah's like, wait a minute, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Like, and in the midst of that, he's still missing stuff. I believe if Isaiah had the right heart and had the right uh, um, position or posturing, I believe there was probably a lot more that could have been described in this, in, this, in this scripture. But he's like, hold on, I interrupt this broadcast to bring you some news of I'm jacked up. 
No man can see God and live. Sin is debilitating in our minds when we try to think about living holy. It's debilitating in our relationships when we think of honoring God in our relationships. Don't even start talking about trying to save yourself from marriage. Nobody wants to even talk about that. They like, get out my face with all that. Sin is debilitating. And it's debilitating in the face of fear when we try to walk out Joshua 1 and 9. It's my favorite scripture. Be strong in the Lord and the power is might. Be courageous. Sin is debilitating. It comes and interrupts that thought the same way Isaiah's vision of God and his experiences with God was interrupted with, I'm jacked up. That's how debilitating sin is. Now do we see why God took on sin, the problem of sin, as a first priority? Now we begin to see this because before it's like, well, God, what's this whole thing about sin? There's a lot of other things and other challenges that you could have went after, but God went after sin and he prioritized it first because he's like, my, Isaiah can't even be in my company without being interrupted and the thoughts of how debilitating his sin and the people he's come from, maybe his kids, maybe his wife, maybe his brother, they were so full of sin that he can't even think, continue to think about me. Let's read verses six through seven, Isaiah. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Your sin purged. Now, I'm not sure if Isaiah was talking to the seraphim. Like, seraphim, listen, I'm a man. Um, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, and um, all my people are. I mean, I'm not sure if he went up to the seraphim and he said that. Or maybe the seraphim saw the need before he even spoke it. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and take care of this need so Isaiah can be back in this moment where he's supposed to be. So the seraphim took the coal from the altar. Woo! That's a message. He took it from the altar. You know what they said about seraphim? Seraphims are like full of heat and full of fire. Like they're fiery. They're like just fi these fiery beings. He... The seraphim didn't take it from himself. He went to the altar where the fire is fresh and burning at all times. And he went and grabbed it from the altar. He, maybe he had to take a couple of steps. I don't know. Or maybe he had like super long arms and he was just like, I don't know. But he took the coal from the altar and he touched Isaiah's lips from it. And he says, listen, he told him the sin thing is done. Okay, that's done. That's out the way. Okay, done. That's, that's taken care of. Focus, 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 focus. Then the seraphim touching his lips with the coal represents salvation of Jesus. Focus, focus. Sin's taken care of. Focus. Can you see me? Hey, hey, hey. Sin's done. Taking away the sin and the iniquity, just like Jesus. Before salvation, sin was winning in my mind, y'all. Before salvation, sin was winning in my actions. Before salvation, my entire life was built around encamped around my sin and the convenience of making it easy to keep on sinning. That's what my life was before salvation. And so I don't know what God was saying at those times. I'm sure he was saying a lot of things. I'm sure there was a lot of things going on in kingdom, heavenly places and heavenly things. And I'm, I'm sure they probably was calling my name, but I was like, we like to go to the club. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like I was busy. I was busy. I was busy entertaining my sin. I was busy entertaining the life that I, I, that I created around my sin. Because sin is debilitating. 
Let me put it to you a different way. Sin is blinding. Sin can become so big in your life where it makes sure that you can't see around it, you can't see over it, and you can't see under it. Like it's in your face at all times. John chapter uh, 3 Uh, 19 it says and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil their deeds were evil and there was condemnation all over the place so are you catching the picture this is not just about Isaiah this is about all of us this is about all of us Without the fire from the altar, Isaiah was going to continue to go on and on and on about his broken nature, about how he feels, about the people back home and how they're jacked up. And like his mom, my mama left me and, you know, my dad, he was a drug addict. So, I mean, I had to go out there. There were things I had to do. He was talking about not just himself, but the people in which he came from because he probably felt they had something to do with where he was at, too. He felt debilitated because I don't have a support, a holy support system. I don't have a holy community to kind of help me stay in righteousness. No, man, we're all messed up and we're just out here trying to survive. God, I am unclean. I should not be here. The seraphim, without even being asked, but seeing the need, just like our Savior who saw the need and responded, took the coal, cleansed Isaiah of his sin. And the Pharisee said, your sin is purged. Now, what happens when, sin, when the sin problem is eradicated in our lives? Let's read verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. What in the world? I mean, are, is he bipolar? Like, what is happening here? Like, we go from one drastic measure to the next. Isaiah, what are you doing? are you you were just sitting here talking about how stank nasty your thoughts and your mind is and the people you came from and now all of a sudden you're saying send me so now we see Isaiah going from spectating and describing the glory of God's presence among his people and being purged of his sin and now we find Isaiah hearing and discerning the voice of God I'm sure God was talking before this yeah, I, I, I don't see God being mute. I see God speaking at all times. Now, whether we're picking it up all at all times, now that can be questioned. But my God is always speaking. My God is always moving. My God never sleeps nor slumbers. So I'm pretty sure this was not the first time God spoke a word. But it wasn't until Isaiah's sin had been purged that his ears were open. What happens when the sin problem is eradicated out of our life? All of a sudden, Isaiah's picking up on a very important conversation. I'm sure it wasn't the first time God was speaking. But before that, Isaiah was back there in the frailty of his flesh and the frailty of his habits and the frailty of his people and their sin and how debilitating it was and how he can't, you know, he can't believe some of the things he's done and he's still dealing with that and he's still dealing with mom and dad did and I mean, he's just like lost in himself. He's drowned in his sin and all of a sudden, as soon as the sin uh, problem is eradicated, he's hearing the voice of God. We hear, we see now Isaiah is hearing and discerning the heart of the Father. He's not, he didn't just pick up on a random conversation like, so how's the sheep? No, Isaiah heard an important conversation. 
an important conversation. The heart, the very depths of the, the center of the heart of the father, Isaiah picked up on it as soon as the sin problem was done. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah heard that. Then after discerning the heart of, of God, we witness Isaiah fire back with, here I am, send me. Isaiah went from hiding under a rock of I shouldn't even be here to, hey, God, over here, send me, I'm ready. And you know what? Isaiah didn't go to, to Bible college for that. Isaiah didn't attend 50,000 leadership training sessions for that. Isaiah didn't have somebody pat him on the back and say, you know what? You're a really good Christian. It's just the moment that sin was lifted off of him. It was almost like Isaiah went back to his default settings. <laughs> Do you get that? What Isaiah said when he says, here I am, send me. Do you realize that is your default settings? Because sin comes to interrupt and debilitate everything you were designed and created to do. Everything that God spoke over you before the foundations of this earth, all of a sudden you can't hear it anymore. But the moment the weight of sin is lifted, you're like, here I am, I'm ready. You think you need to learn how to become a warrior? No, it's already in you. The Bible says, endure hardship as a good soldier. What do we know about being a soldier? I have not been in the Air Force. I've never been in the Army, but he's calling me a soldier. Why? Because it's my default setting. I love this picture when I see Isaiah describing and talking about this. I love this picture because it's the picture of me. I love this picture because it's the picture of our church. It's the picture of our nation. It's a picture of all of us. We're sleeping and we're drunk and we're high off sin. And Jesus is saying, I came, I took call from the altar, I touched your life, and I said, sin has been purged. You should be back to your default settings. Here I am. Send me, I'm ready. Just like Isaiah was, he was bound and he was burdened with sin. That was all of us. He was fumbling over sin, generational sin, convenient sin, sexual sin, selfish sin, greedy sin, lustful sin, just sin. He had it. He had a sin problem. Guess what? We've all had a sin problem. So why are you so full of shame about your sin? Guess what? Your sin don't look no uglier than my sin. My sin is not pretty compared to your sin. All of it's ugly. All of it stinks. But guess what? Jesus said, it is finished. I'm going to get ready to close. John chapter 19, verse 30. I see Jesus and his bloody body hanging on a bloody cross. And he was naked. Because I know in our mind, we like to picture him with like this little drape that's like perfectly draped around, you know, the, the, the areas and stuff. But he was naked. You guys, he was exposed. I mean, it was embarrassing. The crucifixion was the most ratchet, nasty, disrespectful, dishonorable death that anybody could have done. And he had to hang there because he didn't take himself down, even though he could have. 
But he stayed there exposed and nasty and ripped up and skin hanging. And he didn't say, I'm sorry, guys. I know I probably look a mess. He didn't say, hey, guys, look away. I'm sorry. I just, can somebody drape me? Like, he did it. He says, you know what? It's finished. He wasn't preoccupied with where he was and how he looked. Because he didn't have the sinful, offensive problem that we have. Because sin is offensive. And that's the reason why it distracts us the way that it does. Because it's offensive to the things of God. And so we have an offense on the inside of us. And that's the reason why it comes and it interrupts everything. Like pastors should teach about offenses. Like offenses is something else. Offenses do not belong in church. I'm telling you. Offenses are loud. They're obnoxious. And they literally steal every good thing that the Lord has for us. But Jesus wasn't distracted. He stood there. I mean, he laid there. I mean, he hung there. Naked, bloody, torn up, crown of thorns sticking into his head, blood flowing into his eyes, down his face, completely exposed, and he stayed on mission. And he says, it is finished. He didn't say, he is finished. He didn't say, we were finished. He said, it is finished. What is it? It is the debilitating sin that keeps fumbling you up the way Isaiah was fumbled up. He's saying, it is finished. Okay, you used to be a crackhead. It's finished. Now go back and get those crackheads saved. Okay, you used to be a prostitute. It is finished. Now go back and preach the gospel to the prostitutes that you used to know. Okay, it is finished. I know you used to be bound in fear and shame of what you used to do and what you used to be. It is finished. Now get back on target and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. It is the overwhelming overwhelming chasm of sin that you constantly see every time you spectate the kingdom of God. It is the handcuff of generational curses that keep pulling you back to the old sinful habits that not just you do, but you've seen your dad do it and your mom do it and your uncles do it. Like it's handcuffing you, but God says, I'm cutting you loose. It's finished. Now, just like Isaiah, once it's finished, Reminding me of my unclean lips. I'm no longer being reminded of my unclean thoughts. I'm no longer being reminded of my unclean ways and the unclean people in whom I've come from. Now I can live out the same commission that Jesus lived out right in front of the world for the kingdom. For the kingdom. Now I can live for the kingdom. God says, who shall we send? Who will go for us? Who's us? The kingdom of God. Now, I can live for the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We were taught to pray that. Do you really think God's not trying to answer that prayer? God says, I answered it, and it's in you. The kingdom of God is in you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what God's saying to it? Amen. Go. Run. Tell them. Preach. Prophesy. Pray. Declare. Testify. Go. Go. The sin problem is taken care of. Up. Luke 17 and 21, it says, Indeed, the kingdom of God is within 
you. You're looking for a move. You're looking for pastor to say something. You're looking for pastor Donald to say something, to do something, to wake you up, to charge you up. No, God says, I've taken care of the sin problem. Go, 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 go for the kingdom. Isaiah 61 and 1, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I love this scripture, you guys. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The anointing is upon me to do something for the kingdom. The anointing is upon me to set in motion other people for the kingdom. The anointing is upon me to heal somebody for the kingdom. The anointing is upon me to set somebody free from their sin. The anointing is upon me for the kingdom of God. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send my story. Send my experiences. Send what I used to be so they can uh, compare what I used to be to what I am now. Lord, I know that you're going to make a table before my enemies and we're going to feast together. As God, people are going to see me be strengthened and they're going to say, I don't know what happened to Kaya. She was so different. But look at her. So full of confidence. No longer full of shame, even though I try to remind her of what she used to be and what she's done. Yeah. Because Jesus is like, I took care of that. I took care of that. Now Kaya's free at all costs. And you know what that cost was? Jesus' bloody body. So who am I to declare ugly what God has said is beautiful? Who am I? To declare broken what God has already commissioned as whole. Who am I? To declare something is not worthy that God says go. You are worthy. Who am I? Who am I? I'm nothing compared to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm nothing compared to the body that was broken for me. I'm nothing compared to that. So who am I to tell God, no, uh -uh, I got to erase that part because my sin was too dirty, too bad. Unclean thoughts, unclean people. I'm not spectating. I'm participating. I'm responding to the heart of the Father. Here I am, Lord. Send me, fill me, equip me, prepare me, prune me, teach me, train me. But nevertheless, God, here I am. Send me. Listen. The same way that you believe that the Lord God is real is the same way you have to believe in the salvation he extended to you. Because sometimes we can say, oh, I believe in Jesus. But when it gets down to you and the salvation, all of a sudden you start thinking, well, I don't know if that really extended to me. Why do we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe in the power of salvation? That's been the sin, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. Well, now you're not full of faith. You're full of doubt and fear. You have to have faith unto salvation. Have faith in God to a point where it's going to be able to allow you to wrap both arms and all fingers around the gift of salvation. Let the complete work be done in you. The complete work be done in you. What we see in this scripture 
is Isaiah went from being a spectator to a spectator of himself and then cleansed and then motivated to do and operate on, the, on, on, the, on, the, on behalf of the kingdom. Maybe you don't have a desire to live for God. Okay? It's that sin. So bring it to the Father. Say, Lord, fix my palate, the heart of my palate to crave and yearn for your kingdom, to be used for your kingdom, to use my story for your kingdom. Listen, because you know why? I hate going to Chick-fil-A and they say they ought a chicken. I don't want to go to Taco Bell and they say, sorry, we ought a tacos. What y'all got? Straws? Like, I don't want to go to Burger King and they say they ought a burgers. How do you feel when the world is coming up to you and they're looking for Christ? When they're looking for the anointing and you'll say, oh, you know what? I ain't got none of that, but I do have support. You're a good person. God loves you just where you are. Do you know what Christ means in Jesus Christ? Christ is the anointed one's anointing. So what I read to you in Isaiah 61, guess what? That's your charge. Because the moment you said that you are a follower of Christ and that you are a Christian, that is placing the anointing now upon your life. The same anointing that flowed through Jesus, guess what? Now it's flowing on behalf of your life as well. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, greater works shall you do. Greater works shall you do. Isaiah 61, you better write it down and read it and meditate on it because that is your commission. Here I am, Lord. Send me to do Isaiah 61. Let the, let the broken be healed. Let the, the ones that they can't hear, let them be able to hear. Let the captives be set free. That is my commission, that I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to set um, at liberty those who are captives. That's our marching orders. I'm saved to set loose to do the work of the kingdom we must be fully stocked with the anointing the world is so sick and tired of fake Christians looking and acting just like them because we think that's what they need to see like if they see me being really supportive of them and then one day automatically it's just gonna come up and they're gonna say you know what I want to be saved like no they need to see you moving and operating with anointing. You're waiting for them to come up, jump up out of their sin and say, hey, I want to be saved. No, you lay hands and you set the captives free. Because guess what they're bound in? Their sin. You think that set captive is talking about, Lord, let all the prisoners, let the, all the gates come. No, the sin is the captivity. Because with the sin, they can't hear, they can't do, they can't be commissioned. They get, they're completely distracted and they're spectators of the glory of God. But when you set the captives free, the way you've been commissioned to in Isaiah 61, then all of a sudden now they come out of their sin. It's like a jacket that's being able to be dropped off of them. And they'll say, I didn't even know life could feel this good. We can't allow this world to come looking for Jesus and only respond with how dirty and sinful we are. We can't have this world to come looking for Jesus and we're talking about where we're at and how we feel. When they come and the world approaches you, give them Jesus. Give them the kingdom. Heal them. 
Set them free. Pray for them. Teach them. Prophesy. Pray. We will no longer be empty, fake, false Christians. We're going to be full of the fire from the altar.